This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You can give us an email at inbox at realitycheck.radio or send us a text at 2057. 2057. Oh, and I got my regular and all-time favorite with the listeners and with me. But boy, has he given me some work to do. It's our favorite gardener, Wally Richards. Good morning, Wally. Good morning. Yeah, nice day out here in uh, Martin. Bit of sunshine. I see um, through your window there, you've got sunshine too. So, yes, well, um, if you could see further around, you'd see snow. Ah, right. We've got okay. snow in the hills. We had... Um, we had uh, snow here on the ground for a night. Um, okay. So we're hoping for a good ski season. The experts tell me that while the snow mightn't stay, what it does is it cools down the ground and then uh, they can make snow and it makes for better snow. And one of the interesting things I've learned a lot about snow, I don't ski but my kids do, is that the tricky thing is you want, sort of the snow attached to the ground and you can get a scenario where there's sort of water and then snow and the snow sort of slips away or melts and it's no good. So they're right. very pleased to have the ground getting cold now, ready for the big snow when winter thickens up. Okay. That's interesting. Oh, you become, you be, Oh, I guess it's like, you know, how people talk about sur surfing or wine or gardening. It becomes its own little phrases and terms and how they describe the snow. And it's also like fishing. The snow's never quite right. So okay. there's always something wrong with the snow when you go skiing. But, Wally, why don't we start with this? We want to have a few things about what we should be doing in our garden just now. But we also got some wonderful uh, questions from the from the listeners. And let's just go through them and okay. you can answer them. And please, if you've got questions, everyone, we're going to have Wally on every fortnight. So flick us a text or you can ring him and you can ring Wally directly if it's an emergency. He doesn't mind. 0800 466 464. His people will answer, by which I mean Wally. Or you can email Wally at WallyJR, as in JR Irving. Wally JR at gardennews.co.nz. It is an IQ test as I stumbled. The Garden News only has one N. You'll figure it out. Now, Wally, here's a question for you. Wally, please tell me if there is a way to deal with cutty grass that isn't going to be a huge manual labor or poison my soil. They're taking over land that I want for fruit trees. Thank you. Okay. Right. Well, cutty grass, in actual fact, is used as an ornamental grass for some people uh, mm. that like to have that native effect. Um, grasses have become quite popular in bark gardens and things like that. Um, I, I presume I'm not completely familiar with it, but I do know as a kid that um, you could cut yourself on the stuff because it's got a very sharp edge. And, it's called cutty uh, grass for a reason, right? Yeah, it, it, it can cut, that's for sure. Okay, now, she doesn't want to poison the soil. So with any grass, the most potent um, killer is a 
chemical called Roundup, in actual fact. Mm-hmm. So rather than spray the grass with Roundup, what you could do is make up a solution of, and this is quite important, to you take your Roundup, dilute it, um, I think it's 10 mils per litre of water, and you add one mil of rain guard into it. Now, the rain guard not only rainproofs your work, but it's also um, acts as a chemical bridge. And some of these plants, like cutty grass, um, they have a resistance on the leaf that doesn't allow the Roundup to get in. And that means it doesn't work. So if you add rain guard to it, so any shiny leaf plant or hairy leaf plant that's hard to get your Roundup into, you can use um, rain guard, and it's only one mil per litre, and that acts as a chemical bridge, and that takes it into the plant, and the plant can't resist it. Now, if you make up a solution, and instead of spraying it, you get yourself a clean paintbrush, and it, say about an inch wide, and dip it in that and wipe it over the grass itself. That means it will stay exactly on the grass, not go everywhere, and it will go down and kill the grass. So that's the first alternative, and it's very effective because Roundup really kills grass. Just help me here. Is that rain guard that you put in your windscreen wiper, or where do you get this rain guard? What is rain guard? Rain guard is one of the products we have ourselves. Um, it's on our mail order website, which is the same as our telephone number, www.0800-466-464.co.nz. You'll find Roundup there, I think, under the pest control or under disease control. Um, it's a polyfilm my film, which uh, is a little bit like, in fact, it's similar to vapor guard, but a different formulation. And there was a question I see that uh, somebody was asking, is VaporGuard organic? Well, it's based on pine resin, as RainGuard is, and so it's natural. I wouldn't say that it's certified organic by any means, but it's a natural sort of thing, and it's not harmful to um, microbes and soil life and yourself, etc. So you get a bit of rain guard, one mil per litre. You get a bit of Roundup, which I think you said had 10 mils per litre. I think that's the formulation they have and on the bottom. And then you get a one-inch uh, paintbrush and you dab it on. Mm, um, wipe it. Wipe it on. How much of the cutty grass would you need to hit with the Roundup? Is it half of it or three-quarters of it? Is it all of it? Or would 10% kill it? Um, yeah. To the best of my knowledge, you don't need too much because it goes down. It's yeah. systemic into the plant and into the root zone and um, takes it out. So, so you don't have uh, to be too um, particular. Yeah, you don't have to. You can just cover the main big leaves, mm. keep it off the soil so it's not going into the soil. It's staying with the plant. The plant will die. And presumably what would you do once the plant's died, Wally? Um, well, it will just naturally decompose there on the spot over okay. a, a period of days or weeks, whatever. Um, I suppose um, you could pull it out um, mm-hmm. if it looks unsightly. Um, yeah, I never thought of that. What do you do with it after a dead plant? If you spray weeds, you don't 
often go around. And well, I was thinking of the worry. If you're worried about the Roundup getting in your ecosystem and you've got a dead plant, chock a block full of Roundup, you might want to just get rid of it in the bin. Yeah, yeah that's that's the point. Um, but one of the problems that I see that happens is like uh, people in lifestyle blocks or farmers, they might spray uh, weeds in the paddock for um, to control them and so forth. And um, the cattle comes in afterwards and those plants that have been sprayed are very high in carbohydrates, sugars, right? Mm -hmm. And the stock love them, my God. Ah. And that's not particularly good for the animals. I can tell you a story there um, about yeah. how it affects the um, semen count of a bull. Um, how and, you, how, what are you doing counting semen in a bull? Oh, no, this is on a farm where they use a bull to um, inseminate the cattle, the cows, right? Yeah. And um, in a particular case, this guy had used uh, Roundup on weeds in a home paddock, put the bull in there he had just bought uh, for that purpose, and... Uh, Lo and behold, of course, the bull chomped up all the what's names. Uh, prior to buying the bull, he had done a semen count on the bull. Yeah, sperm count. It, sperm yeah, count. Yeah, sperm, sperm count. count. And um, it was good high. But after um, browsing the Roundup-infected plants and grass or whatever, and he got another sperm count done, uh, it would drop right out. It was, it was useless. How funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and well, uh, that's an imagine what it's doing to us. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if it affects our spoon count or not, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm a bit of a worry. Yes, yes. <laughs> you worried well, Wally, aren't you? No, yeah, I'm true. <laughs> if I'd known that, I wouldn't have had a vasectomy. <laughs> Too much information, Wally. Um, I'll come back. I would want to. Uh, so that was Roundup was one thing, and then you had other suggestions. Right. We have a compound called ammonium sulfamate. Now, not sulfate of ammonia, but ammonium sulfamate. Now, here's an interesting story. Um, probably a couple of years ago, a chap from the UK living in New Zealand contacted me, and he said, um, can we get ammonium sulfamate in New Zealand? And I said, never heard of it. What is it? What does it do? And he told me the story about how in the UK they used to be able to get it. It's um, powder crystals, dissolves very readily in water, and then you spray it over weeds. Weeds think it's nitrogen, so they take it in very readily into themselves, and it completely destroys the cellular structure and then converts back to nitrogen. I said, really? He said, yeah. And no harmful effects to the environment, et cetera, et cetera, right? Okay. So we went out, and initially I brought in a tonne from India, then I brought in another tonne from China. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's magic stuff. Ideally, like anything that's more natural, you need to use it on a sunny day when the soil is on the dry side. And my first experience with it, using it the ideal rate, which is 200 grams per litre of water, I filled up my knapsack, 
and and it's the one that I only use for weed killing anyway, and started at one side of the house, went around, sprayed all the weeds around the house until I got back to where I started, and lo and behold, they were dead already. It was no. like paracrot. It, it was a very, very quick kill. Then I found if you used it at, um, say, around about 100 grams per litre of water and ideal conditions, um, some uh, annual weeds, they would die off over a period of a couple of days or so. Uh, harder to kill weeds uh, would take a bit longer. And some things like grass, um, it didn't affect. So here was an interesting thing that you could use it on um, broadleaf weeds in your lawn if you know the correct amount per litre of water by experimenting. So say, for instance, you might find at 80 grams per litre of water, um, it will kill the broadleaf weeds over a period of a week or so, but uh, not unduly affect the grass. And another use of it, and I think there's a question coming up somewhere, too, is that it's used for composting, right? It speeds up the composting process, mm. breaks down woody material, and we do sell it as a super stump rotter where you apply it to a stump and then you cover it with a bag and it eats into the wood and breaks it down. I, I remember seeing a story on the internet where uh, a chap in the UK uh dropped some on his shed floor, the wooden shed floor, and he wanted to know how to stop his floor rotting away. Um, so it's quite reasonably effective. On and what is it called again? Ammonium sulfamate. And where's it cut? I mean, I know it comes from India and China, but what is it? Where, is it just mined out of the ground or is it bird poo or what is it? Do you know? Good question. I don't know. Um, probably like sulfate of ammonia, um, which is, Related to it to its point, um, it would be manufactured. Um, mm. Yeah, good question. And, I, and I don't know. If can you just take your result, eighty grams per liter? I think you said because mm-hmm. I don't know. The home gardener doesn't want to be doing too many experiments, do they? They just want to get it and put it on. So if they've got broadleaf weeds in their grass, they don't want the flaff of putting different amounts on in little wee squares. Um, They just want to get it and kill the weeds. Could they just go with 80 grams and call it the job done, or would that be a bit cavalier? Um, Once again, uh, with any spray, it doesn't matter what type of spray, whether herbicide, insecticide, uh, fungicide, um, you never bowl in and use it without knowledge. Okay. Oops. Most dangerous. Like Oops. commercially, if you were to go and spray your paddock of cabbages with a insecticide and then found that all the leaves turned brown and the cabbages were no good, you'd you'd be out of pocket by a lot of money, right? So what people do was to get the knowledge, they do a trial spray and that should be to just a few um one or two plants of that variety you you want to spray um and as a result of seeing what happens over the next week or two 
whether it's had any adverse effects or not, then you go and do the whole what's that? In fact, with some chemicals, um, that is in the instructions. Do a trial spray first before you do. Otherwise, you could be losing a crop worth several thousand dollars or your um, plants in your garden, which you cherish um, because you didn't take the precaution of testing it. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, I've got to learn a bit more patience, Wally, because I tend to look at the instructions um, and then be on the safe side to double everything. <laughs> ooh, I'm, ooh. I'm very naughty. Um, so the thing is, with your plants, because you're in a peculiar circumstance or a particular, no, that's the wrong word, particular circumstance, it's quite wise. And they say this when you're using cleaning products and that too on your carpet. You don't do your whole carpet in a go. You sort of do a bit that won't be noticed if it goes wrong. Right. Um, to try it first. And, and you suggest waiting a week or two and then you're into it. And then you'd keep a diary. And so next year you'd have a rough enough thing of what you could do. Yep. Yep. That's, that's the way it goes. How interesting. So even, even yourself, if you were dealing with a new product, you wouldn't go in if you weren't confident of it without actually just doing a couple of plants and waiting. Yeah, true. Um, for the home gardener, it's probably not so important because yes. you you might be losing, say, a dozen cabbages, right? You, you've got you the backup of the supermarket. Yeah, but... <laughs> If you're a commercial grower and you've got an acre of cabbages, yeah. that's a lot of money invested in that, and you yeah. don't want to go and spray the whole lot uh, without the knowledge that it's not it's going to do the job you want to do without doing the damage you don't want to have happen. Mm. Mm. And and is Roundup uh, a good product to be using if you use it um, carefully and? putting it on the plants, would you spray Roundup in your garden? No, no way. You just put it on the plant? I don't even do that. Okay. No, I prefer not to use it. Uh, Roundup. Because of your sperm count, Wally. There's people that become sensitive to Roundup, and generally speaking, the home gardener, um, without <laughs> being silly, like, for instance, uh, spraying was while his feet are in chandles, he should be in, <laughs> in a pair of gumboots. So yeah. not to get it on your skin because it does go into your body um, yeah. quite severely. If you've got a backpack, not to have actually a raincoat or something on so to prevent any leakage going down your spine, which is something I learned in um, getting my licence uh, years ago when you had to have a licence for some of these mm -hmm. things. Um, most dangerous um, to have Roundup or any herbicide or chemical going down your back to get to the base of your spine and then where it goes in. Not good mm -hmm. for you. Um, so um, generally speaking, the reason that I won't use Roundup which I used to years ago. I thought it was a magic. It, it killed everything pretty well um, without too much problem. But then I had Sharpay dogs, and my Sharpay dogs started to get bad skin infections. So I took them to a chap 
who had the knowledge of being able to determine what um, the problem was. And he tests them and he said, it's Roundup. So, and wow. of course, after you spray your weeds and your drive and all the rest of it, the dogs are walking through it. Yeah. Right. And of course, they get it onto their skin. And then what do animals do? They lick themselves. Mm. And of course, they get it into their body. Your Sharpay dogs have been for the gardener, the equivalent of a canary for a miner. Yeah. They, they're good indicators for you. Well, I learned about um, the chlorinated water. Yeah. We'll come back it... to water in a minute. Mm. I want to do that water. So um, you've learned over the years, Wally, to be very observant of things. Of course, yes, because with plants, you have to be. Um, to know when they've got a problem, when they haven't, uh, how healthy they are, how well they're growing. Um, a lot of gardening is actually with your eyes, looking and noting what yeah. is happening. Yeah, well, I've got to learn that because I tend to live in a bit of a um, fog and I can walk past things and not notice things. So I have to become – that's very interesting about – testing and uh, observing, and I tend to be, well, I'm learning with the gardening. I'm learning to be a lot more patient because mm. you know how you, we live in a here and now world, don't we? We I, I plant the seed, I want the cabbage. The idea of waiting for my cabbage. <laughs> I pop out every day and I say, where's my bloody cabbage? And it hasn't even sprouted, and I'm thinking I'm feeling it down. However, it's a bit like Christmas when you're a kid. When they do sprout, I'm absolutely ecstatic. Um, right. And I've got some I got some seeds sprouting. They popped up through the soil. And I've thinned them out now, Wally, and I did exactly what you said. Um, I did it in the jolly rain because you said to get the, get the soil wet. And um, as it happened, I, I, I was out there and it started to – it had been raining. And then it started to really rain. I thought, well, this is an ideal time. So I went and it was they were sitting in compost and I got my uh, Brussels sprouts, cabbage and collie and onions. Goodness knows if they'll survive. And I thinned them just with a weed trowel in my fingers and I put them in a bunch at each end. And they looked very, very sad, Wally. Um, mm -hmm. Even the ones that I thinned because I'd got a bit disturbed as I thinned around them. But boy, you know, the next day they were sitting up happy, happy as. Right. And I was so excited. And even the ones that I'd been a bit rough with because I shifted them and I was getting wet and I was getting frustrated that I put into a bunch, um, they're, they're sitting up happy too. Yeah. Yep. Right. Oh, well, so uh, I, but I am, I am very excited about my, my, my uh, Brussels sprouts. And um, I've, as you know, I should tell listeners, I did exactly what Wally said. I kept my eye on, I found Facebook was better in my area than neighborly. And I found a old hobbled up tunnel house uh, that a guy wanted just cleaned up. And I went over and picked it up with my trailer and uh, disassembled it. And I put, I've put it up and um, I put some of my uh, seeds and then I planted some lettuces and some tomatoes. 
And my little tunnel house is as warm as toast, Wally. Yeah, nice. And Wally, I took a picture of it and sent it to Wally, and um, we get horrific westerly winds coming over the Southern Alps, tearing down the Kawara River and across our bit of dirt. And Wally said, oh, have you attached it to the ground? Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> and of course, I had I had put it up uh, very well and got everything looking square and plum and wonderful, but it was just sitting there. And I thought, when that wind comes down, it blows everything over. It'll just about blow your car over. So I um, have quickly uh, attached a strop on it onto the fence, and I'm slowly securing it down so it'll survive the wind and. I think I'll be okay when I'm done. But um, I'm loving having the tunnel house, Wally, and I'm surprised how warm it is in there. Mm, yeah. It and moist. It's yeah. very moist. Can it be too humid? humid? Can it um, be too humid? That can be a little bit of a problem. Um, humidity can carry fungus diseases yes. and they can attack the plant. But the plants love moisture at the okay. same time. So – it's a matter of keeping an eye, and this is what you're going to have to do, is learn your, to use your eyes, yes. check your plants on a regular basis, like each day, and if you see any signs of any moulds or uh, any rotting or anything like that on the plants, then you're going to have to use some remedial, remedial um, spray, such as potassium permanganate, Condi's okay. crystals, it's yep. a favourite one of mine, um, yep. quite safe to use, makes the water go purpley colour as you learn at school in science class. Well, um, how do you use Condi's crystals in your in your greenhouse? Okay, a quarter of a teaspoon, uh, which is supplied in the container, um, which we actually sell, uh, potassium permanganate or Condi's crystals, um, that per litre of water sprayed over the foliage, um, it works a treat. And what does it do? Does it dry the plant out or kill the fungus? Or Yeah, it kills the fungus. It's oh, wow. an old remedy um, which is used for athletics foot. Oh, yes. Remember? So yeah. if you have fungus on your toenails or so forth, you, you've got a uh, bowl of water, put some Condi's crystals into it, soak your feet into it, um, and that would kill the fungus disease. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> And and uh, saves giving your money to the pharmaceutical business. Well, you can't. They don't have it anymore. No, but I mean, they have all these chemicals in the tube. Oh, right? I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah true, yeah. true. Yeah. Um, you with real talk with Rodney Hyde uh, on Rally Tech Radio. We're talking to our favourite gardener, uh, Wally Richards. And Wally, doesn't matter what we talk about. You're a font of knowledge, right? I'm I'm still struggling with those that poor guy buying that prize bill. And spraying his weeds to get the paddock all nice for his bull, <laughs> sterilizing the bull. <laughs> Which, <laughs> his wife, his wife actually told me about it, <laughs> and she was laughing. Yeah, he thought, <laughs> he, he thought um, instead of paying uh, to have the cows inseminated, you know, artificially, uh, he'd buy himself a couple of bulls and um, do it the old fashioned way, the good old fashioned way. And yeah, uh, my goodness, but he fell over badly. 
Now, we've done this question, but let's do it again. Is VaporGuard an organic product? And remind us what VaporGuard is used for, Wally. VaporGuard is often used as frost protection. And being organic, I say natural, not organic, but it's derived from pine tree resin. It's made in Canada. Um, It's a film which... um, is basically natural. Um, mm. the, the main attribute at this time of the year is frost protection. So if you have passion fruit vines or tender plants, um, citrus trees in your area down where you get uh, quite severe frost, mm. you spray the foliage with vapor guard. Um, within three days, the foliage would go to a much darker, richer green. Uh, the plant can photosynthesize and get more energy from the sun. And as a result of doing so, uh, it creates a uh, substance called glycosol. Glycosol is antifreeze. And so the plant has its own little antifreeze system working. The cells freeze, but the antifreeze um, prevents damage. And as long as you only have the occasional frost every few days, it works a treat. But if you have two or three frosts, Night after night, you need to add frost cloth for the second frost or something. Otherwise, because the plant hasn't had a chance to fully heal. Yeah. It's all it's also used as stress scar. So if you're transplanting anything, you spray the foliage a couple of days beforehand, over and under in the particular case, and before lifting and transplanting, ideally to do with your seedlings that you buy in punnets. Um, just give them a spray with vapor guard, um, leave them for a couple of days. It hardens the plants off. Mm. It protects against um, salt spray for people living by the coast. Uh, windburn, another damaging thing for uh, young plants. Um, spray the plants when you plant them, um, shrubs, trees, whatever, um, with vapor guard, and they will establish quicker and better. Um, it's got so many uses, isn't it? Drought times, you spray the foliage under and over, and it reduces the plant's need for moisture by about 40%. Nice. Here's our next question from a listener, Wally. How can I look after my kitchen window herbs like basil, mint, and coriander? Okay. Ideally, they should be on a windowsill if you're going in in that situation, on a north-facing window, ideally. So they're going to get... Plenty of sunlight uh, most of the day. Uh, often they're grown in the kitchen on the kitchen windowsill, and predominantly the kitchen windowsill will be facing more to the south or east and west, right? So not yep. to the north, right? Um, it just depends on the design of the house. Um, on the windowsill itself, plants get quite a bit of good light anyway, and some have those window uh, glass houses, you know, that extend out from yep. the house a little yep. bit. Oh, magic, because yep. they've got light overhead then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, on a windowsill, the light is coming through the window, so the plant's leaves will stretch to the, the window pane mm-hmm. because they, they're looking for the maximum amount of light that they can get. Mm-hmm. When the light is overhead, like in one of those window boxes, mm-hmm. um they stretch upwards because that's where the light is, and this is what you want. 
on a windowsill, it means that your plants will all be facing the foliage to the glass. So about every week, you turn the plant around um, 180 degrees, right? So the leaves are then facing inside, and within a day or two, (laughs) <laughs> they will turn around and face out. Plants that move. Poor plant. <laughs> yeah. So you <laughs> you're giving the plant something to do. <laughs> um, on, on a inside a house and so forth, probably the worst problem is insects um, can get in. Uh, I was amazed the other day. I've got some uh, little plants in um, punnets on the kitchen windowsill. And, my God, there was a praying mantis. I don't know wow. where it came from. And he was on one of the plants. And I thought, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, and then I looked the next day and he'd gone. I don't know where he went either. But he, And the window wasn't open, so he had to come through the door or something to get in, find the plants, sit there, say hello to me, and then disappear. Move on to the neighbours, yeah. Yeah, go off. Um, you can't have many flies in your house for, the, for him. The... Um, Probably the biggest problem with container plants inside would be mealybug, which is root mealybug. They live in the uh, soil uh, or in the compost or the growing medium. And if you take the plant out of the pot, you'll see all these white wispies around the edge of the um, inside of the container, uh, which is a good indication you've got root mealybug. Um, The adults will come up and colonise on the foliage and they're little white um, sticky insects. Um, They can be sprayed with, say, pyrethrum or um, Wally Super uh, Neem Tree Oil, Um, but you've got to kill the ones in the container itself. And containers, um, the best way to do that is using our neem tree powder, which you sprinkle a little bit of that on top of the mix, and then cover it, with, if it's inside, cover it with a little bit of um, wall mix, potting mix, whatever, and the neem properties will leach out into the root zone of the plant, and as a result of that, insects uh, in the soil feeding on the plant will get a dose and stop eating and die. Um, simple as that. Very safe, very effective that way to do it. That was called what, Wally? That's neem tree powder or neem mm. tree granules. Okay, and you can get that if you give Wally a call, 0800 466 464. Wow, there's a lot to it, isn't there, Wally? Actually, the neem granules, um, a lot of people have problems with citrus trees, right? It's so much as white fly and mealybug, scale insects, et cetera, et cetera. Now, a nice citrus tree um, is quite dense in its foliage, and it's difficult to spray, and if you don't have to spray, it makes life a lot easier. So with a citrus tree, all you do is get um, our neem tree granules, and uh, I recommend ours because I've got a lot of neem properties in them. They're very dark. And you sprinkle that underneath the tree from the trunk to the drip line and give it a light water, and in a period of about six or eight weeks, there won't be another insect in the tree. They're all gone. And oh goodness. What is what is it, neem, exactly? Uh, neem is a tree in India um, in which they collect the kernels of, 
and the colonels, um, they cold press to get the oil out of them and the residue left over they call neem cake and which we buy and we call it neem granules because it's larger pieces Mm -hmm. or neem powder, which is a nice um, powder to work with and use. Um, It's because there's only been one extraction of oil out of the kernels, it means that they are very dark and they have quite a, a smell to them. It, it's a, I, I think it's a pleasant smell. Some people don't like it, right? But that smell in itself ha, has a lot of advantages to disguise the smell of your plant. So in your glasshouse, Come summertime, you're going to be planting up your tomato plants and so forth. So what you do with your tomato plant is you put some neem powder in the planting hole, right? So that will be break down and be taken up by the roots. And then you put some neem granules on the soil Mm -hmm. around the plant, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the smell from that, because you're going to be watering, it creates a nice smell, that smell will disguise the smell of your tomato plant. So white fly flying by doesn't know your plant's there, right? Now, in the old days, before neem came along, we used to plant marigolds in the glasshouse, right? And the marigolds um, would make us, you close your glasshouse up at night and, of course, the smell would build up. And then when you open the vents and the door next morning, the whole place would stink of marigolds. Now, because it smells like marigolds, you can't smell the tomato plants. So insects insects would just fly on by. They wouldn't come in because there's no point of going in there because there's no tomatoes, there's only marigolds. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. Uh, Anything else that you need to do for your herbs like basil, mint and coriander on your windsill? Um. Ideally, have a saucer underneath the plant, of course. This time of the year, particularly with basil, which is a heat-loving plant, um, you've got to keep it a little bit on the dry side. Um, you don't flood the pot with water because at night time, um, when it gets cold, if the potting mix is wet, uh, it's going to intensify the cold. And I can give you an example of this. Like on a cold winter's morning, if you go outside and your hands are dry, it's cold. But if you get your hands wet, my God, it's 10 times colder. Yes. Right? Because it's so, evaporating off you, isn't it? And it's evaporating yeah. off the soil and the plant. So with your container plants in glasshouses or inside and so forth, it's most important that you keep them a little bit on the dry side. They still need a drink of water, mm-hmm. but not much. And, it, mm-hmm. and ideally warm water, a small drink, just to moisten up. If they plants get too dry, of course, they start to droop. And once again, you use your eyes and you see that and you think, oh, you need a drink. So you give mm-hmm. them a small a drink of water to refresh them. And plant food. Now, one of the interesting things is a product we have, which we call magic botanic liquid, right, which is humate and fulvic acid. My partner um, decided to 
try this on her houseplants. She got very enthused about having houseplants during the period of time we had coronavirus, right? And a lot of people did. The houseplants went ballistic, literally, mm. right? So she had a, a nice little Monsteria delicia, you know, the um, yes. plant, and it was probably about a metre high. Well, my God, <laughs> watering it with magic and liquid, we've had to cut it in half. It reaches the ceiling, and, and that was in a period of only a few months. It just went ballistic. What um, is that product called, Wally? Magic Botanic Liquid. My goodness. And what's right. special about that? Well, it's humate and fulvic acid. It's derived from lignate and it's extracted. It's actually made in New Zealand, um, in New Plymouth, and it's normally used in the garden for um, as a spray or as a soil drench. The spray is most effective. Um, sprayed over the foliage of plants, the plants will... Uh, on my website, which is the Garden News website, it lists all the properties that um, Magic Botanic Liquid will do. It helps the plants photosynthesize better. It's got silica in it. That's a great advantage. It um, cleans up um, locked up fertilizers in the soil. Um, yeah, and and literally your plants will grow twice as fast and twice as big by a regular spray of that. And when we say regular, like once a week, once a fortnight. Um, on roses, a chap in Auckland told me that after using it, his roses, which never had perfume before, now have perfume. Um, they're healthy. They grow better. And he even won um, the street gardening competition Um as a result of using magic botanic liquid, his garden was just so good. And then the following year, he was banned from the gardening competition. Because <laughs> he had a secret ingredient. Yeah. He, you can he, get that secret ingredient, give it a ring, 0800-466-464. Now, here's a question for you, Wally. How do you get rid of oxalis in my pot with my standard rose? Now, how do I keep the rose growing in a big pot? Thank you, Mark. Right, okay. Oxalis in a pot, right. Um, first of all, let, let's look at the aspect of growing perennial plants in a container. And this is where a lot of people don't realise that after a period of time, and if we're normally talking about two or three years, the plant becomes root-bound. All the roots form into a big cluster uh, inside the pot, and as a result of that, the plant dies. So any container-grown plant, first thing is you never use a urn-type container, which the top is more narrow than some part in the container. Okay. You can use them for annual plants, you know, flowering yes. plants, et cetera, et cetera. Good as gold because it's not important. But a perennial plant, you can never get it out of a container like that without smashing the container, so mm -hmm. it becomes a problem. So the the top must be the high, the widest point. Got it of the thing, right? You take your plant out of the container, you rose, and you lay it on the ground, and then you get a um, 
a cross saw and you cut the bottom third of the root system off, straight through, right, okay? And that's all the roots that are curled around the base, et cetera, et cetera. Then you use the same container, you fill the bottom of it up with compost to the level in which the amount has been removed of the mm -hmm. roots. Mm -hmm. And then you plonk it back in. Right. You can also, at that point of time, before you plonk it back in, put some sheep manure pellets or some um, goodies in there uh, as food for it, blood and bone, whatever, and then you plonk it back in. Your plant will have a new lease of life. All those roots that have been cut will then form new roots and start filling up that area. And, of course, it's got new food there. And so you'll have a flush of growth in the canopy and it'll look really good. You have to do that about every two to three years. If you don't, after about, say, four or five years or so, the plant will look miserable and die. Will the plant itself, with its roots being cut every two to three years, being cut maybe by a third, will the plant itself keep growing, Wally? Yeah, no problems. It, it will love it. How amazing. Yeah, um, because when the roots get so bound like that, even though you may be feeding a slow-release fertiliser on top of the soil or you may be watering in um, liquid fertiliser, the, the roots are not able to take it up of any consequence. So mm -hmm. you're wasting your time because all the roots are, are just – bolt jammed together and they can't operate as they should do because the container has forced them to be like that. In the ground, of course, those roots will spread out and stay spread out and they can keep on spreading out infinitely. They don't, but they could do yes. theoretically. Um, so they're always alive and working, not cramped up Um mm. Yeah, and, and then if we go back, we've got that with the rose. Now the oxalis, what do we okay. do? Now, when you take um, particularly plants outside, container plants, quite often they get quite a bit of weed in, um, blown in, weed seeds, etc. and so you have a, a mass of weeds. When you take them out of the container and lay them down, it's quite easy then to remove those weeds got from it. the top, right? Now, with oxalis, uh, of course, it's got little bulblets. And so you can get the plant and the bulb, the main, the mother, but the little bulblets, you have to be very careful that you extract them as well because each one of those will become another oxalis. There is that compound we talked about before, which I have suggested for people to use in a garden situation. With the paint. And this is the ammonium sulfur, mate. Oh, yes. Right. Now, I'll tell you a story. There was a, a nice old lady contacted me one time and she said, look, we want to kill the clover in our lawn um, because we want to re-sow it. We're not worried about the grass, um, but uh, we want to kill the clover before we re-sow the lawn, Right. And I said, well, okay, use the ammonium sulfamate. 
mix it up 200 grams per litre of water, sunny day, dry soil, spray the foliage of the um, clover with it, and that will kill it. Well, a couple of months later, she rings me up and she says, um, we've got a problem. I said, why? What, what, what's happened? She said, well, we're putting the lawn seed in, but it won't grow. I said, really? I said, what did you do? She said, oh, like you said, we put it in a watering can and we watered it over the, clo- over the clover. I said, I said, spray. She said, oh, you did it kill the clover? Oh, yeah, clover died, but it's still active in the soil subsequently. So when they're putting the uh, lawn seed in, the grass seed, of course, it's getting composted in the soil. And so it won't grow because it's being so composted. So when you spray it, you get a much lower dose. You get a fine spray. And when she watered it, she put a lot in. Yeah. And because it, went into it, the, it went into the ground, not just on the leaves. Yeah. Because spraying, of course, you're spraying the foliage. You're not oh. drenching the soil. See, right? that's, I would do that. That's how stupid I am. I just yeah. don't think those things through. Now, wow. on the same basis as that, say you've got oxalis in your garden and the foliage are there and so forth, it's a curse um, because if you try to pull it out, you're disrupting the little bulblets on the side and yeah. they spread, right? Yeah. The way I used to suggest to people in the past was to bury it. In other words, keep on putting cardboard and, and compost on and so you're burying it over a period of time. But with ammonium sulfamate, you can mix it up into your watering can and you carefully water it over the foliage down where the crown is into the soil and that will compost the bulb and the bulblets. Now, if you repeat that every time you see some um, oxalis comes up, give it a drink with the ammonium sulfamate and you should as long as you don't disturb the soil, over a period of time, completely clean up the oxalis. There you go. And if you had some old Roundup in the garage, could you get a little bit of that and dab it on with a brush or a cloth? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Roundup kills oxalis. It doesn't kill clover in the lawn. Okay. Because clover is immune to Roundup. Um, But, yeah, uh, that's another way. And it may go down and kill the mother bulb, but not the bulblets. Because what we're doing when we drench the soil where it's growing is we're killing or composting. It's not killing, it's composting all the bulbs in the soil. So if I'm using the ammonia sulfate on my oxalis, how do I apply it? (coughs) Excuse me. Um, uh, 200 grams into a litre of water and you water over the foliage down into the soil. Won't that did, kill the rose? Um, the, it's only going to affect the area in which you watered it into. So if there's some roots of the rose there, yes, it could kill those roots. Or No, it won't kill them. It will just um, compost, compost them. them, which means that the roots then will re-root again. Okay. Uh, it's like going down and pruning the roots in the soil. Okay. And so, okay. So you can use ammonium sulfate 
on your oxalis, sulfamate, sorry, yep. ammonium sulfamate on your oxalis in your pot, keeping it to the oxalis, and every time it pops up again, uh, give it another dose, and over time you will the the boblets will give up the bol, the little bob bobets will give up because you're getting them all. Well, in actual fact, they will get composted as well. Yeah. So composted in the soil. It it can be used, shall we say, for convolvulus um, by drenching the soil uh, to kill the roots of convolvulus, particularly if they're away from other plants. Um, It would do damage to um, the roots of plants, preferred plants, uh, if you weren't careful. But those, as long as you weren't watering the whole area around the plant, it would re-establish a new root system um, from the damaged roots that have been composted. Um, so, yeah, uh, a little bit of care, a little bit of caution, uh, but it can solve a problem, which is yeah. a hard problem to um, fix. Yeah, here we've got a, a question from Karina. And it's, uh, hello, Wally. Can you please tell me the best remedy for whitefly at this time of year? Okay. I I presume it's in a glass house, but it may be out in the open as well. Uh, The products that I prefer to use as sprays is Wally's neem tree oil, uh, super neem tree oil, and Wally's super pyrethra. Mixed together, at the prescribed rates, and sprayed just before sunset, right? And you're spraying under and over the foliage with them. You repeat that about every three to five days until you've got control. And an alternative to that, or one that you can use in between times, is hydrogen peroxide. Now, hydrogen peroxide, I've just started um, utilising that recently, that's 3% hydrogen peroxide. We actually have it with um, magic botanic liquid added to it. And the idea with this is it will kill the eggs of the insects. So you spray the plant, um, can be done any time during the day. Uh, I didn't find any adverse reaction uh, in sunlight. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> And, yeah, after that, this was in one of my glass houses, which had a reasonably bad infestation of whitefly and insects. Uh, One spray, within a few days, activity had remarkably reduced, noticeably reduced. Mm -hmm. So one time with the neem oil and pyrethrum, say a week or so later with the uh, hydrogen peroxide, and then a week or so later with the neem oil and pyrethrum again. Um, so you can get it under control. Outside, the same thing can be applied. Um, the problem outside is your target plant, which might be a tomato or whatever that you're focusing on, is only one plant with the pests. In other words, just a little bit of further away is a plant it's also a host plant to the same pest. And you might clean up your plant, but within a few days, the pests from the other plant have come across and recolonised the plant you've treated, right? So 
in your outside situation, you need to look around and find out other plants in the area which have got the same problem and treat them all. Got it. And one of the problems, of course, is often the plant that's where they're coming from is over the fence next door, and the people next door don't mind having (laughs) that plant with fence because they're not gardeners. They don't care uh, about that. And unless you can go next door and talk to the people and say, do you mind if I spray your blah, blah plant um, because I'm getting a problem? And a lot of people are quite happy about that. Mm -hmm. So um, Um, inside a glass house, though, you've got fairly good control. Got it. Um, One thing I've noticed, Wally, and I'd like to talk to you because we had an earlier email about water. And I have to say, you, my powers of observation are getting a little bit better, but this was quite dramatic. So when it was dry, I was running um, a little hose down my rows and dripping water into the plants. And I was doing that because I was very conscious of conserving the water where we are. And it was very hot and very dry. And I found that excellent. I'd just leave it run and it would deliver, each wee hole would deliver one and a half litres. Was it an hour? I can't remember. Mm. It was very slow drip, but it meant it, it, I noticed it got quite deep. Um, It penetrated rather than, you know, a hose flicking around spraying it willy-nilly. I did that because I didn't have enough pressure because we're just running water, you know, literally out of a stream. But I noticed what you said. It's been raining a lot. My goodness, the plants love the rain and they're greened up. And the difference between rain and just watering them has been quite dramatic. Right. Yep, it is. And there's two reasons for that. First of all, if you've got chlorine in your water supply, you're killing the soil life, right? Yeah. And the soil life can recover very quickly. In fact, uh, with microbes in the soil, you can have three generations in 24 hours. So uh, when it rains, of course, they're getting moisture and they can grow and they've got a period of time before you get your tap water out again so their populations can build. So the plant gets the advantage of these microbes breaking down organic materials or fertilisers or whatever so the plant can feed. So the plant has a good time. You get the chlorine water out of your tap and you water that into the soil and bang, you've just killed off millions of microbes. And I'm going to come back to that point, yeah. Right, so that's the problem. Another that's aspect, one reason, and the second reason, yeah. The second reason is nitrogen is brought down out of the sky and onto the foliage of the plant with the rain, and, of course, they get a, a boost of nitrogen, a nice, mild dose, and that they love that because mm. nitrogen is the growth factor. Right. So between the two things, the plant grows and looks healthy and and perks up, and I'm a very happy little plant. Right. Well, I I was stunned by, and of course, because I'm taking it out of the stream, goodness knows, um, this is potable water, actually. Um, It hasn't got chlorine in it. But tell us again, because 
we got an email about this. Tell us again about the water on your garden from your garden tap. Because I think every council in the country now is probably pouring in the chlorine. Oh, yeah, and the fluoride. Um, fluoride. Now, the fluoride aspect in the soil, to my knowledge, it probably doesn't have any great detrimental effect. But to our bodies, it has a very bad effect, in actual fact, as I've learned. Um, But the chlorine... It has a bad effect. It's a poison. I, they over in places overseas when they're uh, having wars and things, they use chlorine to kill people. My well, God, the World War One was chlorine yeah, gas. Yeah, and, and of course, it's going in the water to kill the microorganisms. And so, if it's killing the microorganisms in the water, it can't be too good for the microorganisms in the soil, or your body, or your body. Yeah. Your guts needs those microorganisms, right? Right. And if you're drinking a lot of chlorinated water, of course, you're killing stuff inside your body. Yeah. And, and then your kidneys have to filter that stuff, chlorine out of your system. Yeah. So what's your solution, Wally? Okay. Um, you can have a housing with a 10-micron carbon bonded filter, which uh, goes inside the housing. That snaps onto the tap. And that removes all the chlorine out of the water and will do, generally speaking, about 16,000 litres. We, we sell them through our mail order website, which is that 0800 website. Um, it's $140 for the housing and the filter, and the replacement filters are $40 each. So relatively inexpensive. And if you don't have inside the house for your drinking water on your tap, then you can simply use the water coming out of the filter housing uh, outside by filling up flagons. So you get a short little piece of hose, about a foot long, snap that onto the out of the housing, outlet, get your flagon, fill it up, take it inside, put it in the cupboard, put it in the fridge, and there you've got non-chlorinated drinking water and you've got it for the garden and for yourself. In some cases, like here in Martin, the the amount of chlorine in the water is so bad, we use the same um, housing and filter on our shower so that it removes the chlorine, and it makes the shower very pleasant to have a shower. You where, notice the difference? Oh, remarkably so. Um, With the soap or just on your skin? On, uh, on your skin, yeah. And, and the other thing, too, when you wash your windows or your car, and when it dries, there's streaks. You've noticed that? No. You don't I'm have not... chlorinated tap water. You don't I wash don't your know. car. Yeah, <laughs> probably the latter. But it's probably more particularly, Wally, look, I don't notice things. You know what I mean? I, oh, I, okay. I, my wife's always complaining. Like I can, I can walk past a complete pile of rubbish in the kitchen or something and not even notice it. You know what I mean? Because I'm thinking right. about Wally's show. I don't know. But um, I'm the last person to ask because everyone else is saying, we look at that streaky window. And I say, what? Um, yeah. um, and I didn't even know here whether it's corner. I suspect it is because after that um, problem somewhere up north with water and it not being too healthy, 
The councils have all taken a very risk-averse approach, haven't they? And they're pouring the chlorine, and even Christchurch was having chlorinated water when I was there. Mm, and yeah. Christchurch had beautiful, beautiful aquifer water, um, and they're pouring the bloody chlorine in. Um, so, yes, I, I'm sure we are. I'm sure just about everyone is. Which is ridiculous, really, because it, it's bad for your health um, and it's not needed because a lot of councils will use UV to treat the sewerage, right? Yes. UV light? Yes. And, and that kills all bacteria completely. Yes. Now, all they have to do is treat the um, water supply, town water, with UV. It kills all the bacteria yeah. so simply. They pass it through UV channel. Um, you can buy UV um, things that you can have in your home. Like if you were taking water out of your stream or out of somewhere where there may be um, bacteria and you're concerned about that or out of tank water, you can have a, a little power UV light. Yeah. The water passes through, all the bacteria is zapped, and the water is bacteria-free. UV and so, is the answer. So you would never now, after your experience, and you might like to repeat that for listeners in case they missed it, just repeat the experience you've had with chlorinated water because it astonished me, and I know it astonished many listeners, and it's well worth repeating, Wally. You, you explain to us your experience with chlorinated water. Okay. Charpey dogs. I was one of the original people in New Zealand to um, import and breed Sharpe dogs. Sharpe dogs um, hereditary have very weak kidneys, and generally speaking, most Sharpeys will die of kidney failure. Right now, they're the canary in the um, in the coal mine because what I noticed was originally with chlorinated tap water, I'd fill up a bowl, they would refuse to drink it, they'd go to a muddy puddle, but if they didn't have a muddy puddle, they'd have to drink when they're thirsty. My Sharpay originals, they died five, six, seven years of age. Everyone, kidney failure, right? Then I learned about the um, chlorine in the water and how badly it affected the soil life. And, and the plants in the garden. So I put filters you on You actually the... noticed it, didn't you, on your lawn, I think? Yeah. Well, how I learned about it was because I imported from Australia some microbes which they were freeze-dry, right? They're, in other words, they're on stuff. Um, they came in. You had to um, put them into a bucket of water or a container of water and they said non-chlorinated water. And I thought, oh, of course, because chlorine kills bacteria. And then you put an air bubble in, you put a little aquarium heater in, you bubbled away for 24 hours, and you breed, brew up billions, billions and billions of microbes, beneficial microbes, <laughs> which you then would add to non-chlorinated water and water into your garden or over your plants to increase the microbial activity in the soil, right? Mm -hmm. And, of course, the the key was non-chlorinated water, and that's when the penny dropped. But we're using chlorinated water in their gardens. So 
I got hold of the housing filter, put that on the tap, and within a week or two, I noticed the difference. Because like you said, when it rains, everything comes to life, right? When you use chlorinated water in the garden, everything goes backwards. Your plants start to get rust and black spots and diseases. They don't look happy, right? Then it rains again and everything comes back to life, right? Now, using filtered water, removing the chlorine, it's not quite as good as rainwater, but it's the next best thing. Mm, and amazing. And yeah. your dogs noticed it, right? Tell well, us the dog story. what happened once they started, uh, they would drink the water straight away because it was filtered. There was no poison in it. And, and they've got more brains than us uh, in that department. And so those dogs from then on, my oldest lived to 15 years of age. Three so times longer. Doubled the lifespan yeah. of the animals by not having to put stress on their kidneys, filtering out the chlorine. Now, um, you've got the the filter and the filter housing, $140, and then a replacement filter is $40. Tell me, how, how, how long does that filter last? It does 16,000 litres of uh, water before it is full of um, chlorine and it, the water just stops literally. Had, oh, it literally stops flowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you don't have to have an indicator. You know you've done 16,000 litres. Mm. As it comes to the end of its life, the water flow will slow and then stop. And then you have to take the filter out, put a new filter in, and uh, away you go again. And, now, and typically in your house and in your garden, how often are you replacing the filter? Now, that's interesting because it depends on the amount of chlorine yeah, that of the council's put in the water. In Palmerston North, my outside taps with the filters on, I would get two to three seasons. In other words, two to three years out of a filter. In Martin, I'm lucky to get three months. No. Yeah. And even on our shelves... We're changing about every six to nine months because the showers, you're not using so much water no. um, as opposed to in the garden or with irrigation, et cetera. But, yeah. Um, I, I understood with water, and this is what I do with our drinking water, I, I put it in the fridge because I understood that if you leave it sitting, the chlorine breaks down and, and and the thing i do you know i don't even know this i just i might be repeating some old wives tale in my head or not but i understood that if you if you left the water overnight somehow the chlorine would remove itself but maybe i'm wrong about that I, okay I'd love, I'd love listeners to let us know about their experience with chlorine and the water and indeed other things um, please send us a text 2057 uh, or email us at inbox at just because it's been such a recent thing in so many areas where they're putting the chlorine in and Wally's telling us such a dramatic story. It's fascinating to me. Right. Now, take, for example, if you've got a swimming pool or a spa pool, now you can either use salt or you can use chlorine to kill the bacteria in, yeah. in the swimming pool or the spa pool. Now, 
they have to keep on dosing it because the sunlight, it's not in, in your cupboard in the fridge that the chlorine is going to disappear. It's and it's sunlight. not so much by boiling the water, it will help a little bit, but sunlight will Makes dissipate it, yeah. the chlorine, right? Yeah. And particularly if there's water movement, like you've got a little fountain yeah. or something or an air um, yeah. pump with an air bubble. Yeah. To uh, activate the water, the chlorine will disappear and you really quick. Certainly notice it when you've been to a swimming pool and you can feel the chlorine mm. um, on your skin. And I mean, you're showering in that every day. Yeah. yeah. And presumably you have good bugs on your skin. That's right. Getting off. Yeah. And your health is affected not only by the chlorine gas, because in a shower, it's the worst thing because the hot water makes turns it into a gas. And it's only mild, mind you, but it's not good for you because um, if it was a heavy dose, you'd be dead. Wally, you're uh, fond of information. I'm into this. You can get those filters from Wally. Uh, give him a call, 0800 466 464. Wally, we've just done these questions and had an old net up and we've filled up our hour uh, and we haven't got on to actually other gardening things, but we'll catch it up in a fortnight. I can't tell you how much I enjoy talking to you, Wally. Oh, thank you. I enjoy talking to you too. Well, you're interesting. Well, you've got <laughs> we've got great listeners, I think, who are like us. And the one of the things we've worked out with our listeners, Wally, is they enjoy the real talk. But the other thing is they do enjoy a bit of a giggle and a bit of lightheartedness. And that's one of the things that you notice now, isn't it? In the legacy media. And in public places, you can't actually have a bit of a giggle or a bit of lighthearted bend to it. And not about being nasty or anything, but just people don't seem, they seem to be so po-faced recently, mm. don't they? It's all flown on from that COVID. There's not a lot of joy and happiness. And that's, again, what's so wonderful about talking about gardening because it's the origin of civilization, Wally, isn't it? It's 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 us going from living as n nomadic tribesmen wandering around trying to uh, get a berry and catch a, something to eat versus building a village, building a town, building a city, writing books, you know, painting paintings. All that civilization has flown out of gardening. Right, yeah, true. And and when and I'm finding when I go gardening, I find it um very, very enriching of my of my soul. And I had no idea. Um and I do like the idea of, you know, controlling my pests and using natural products and of, you know, altering the microclimate with a bit of a tunnel house and all those things. And you get such a kick out of a wee plant sprouting. I've finished my lettuces and my carrots that I planted. And right. that's how I started gardening because my dear mother died and she was a wonderful gardener. And when I was cleaning up the garage, I found some seeds and I literally threw them into the ground. And we've been eating her lettuces and carrots for weeks and weeks. Right. And the amount of money we've saved. I mean, it's a it's it's a lot of dollars a week you're spending on veggies, and we've just had these lettuces and carrots that cost nothing. Right. And it was so easy. You threw them into the ground. I threw them you into the ground and forgot about them. You didn't go and put them in nah. individually, pray over them, nah. and, and 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 do all the bits and pieces. Nah. You you just let nature do it. Yeah, probably now that I'm trying, it won't work. 
<laughs> oh, Wally. Uh, I look forward to talking to you in two weeks' time. You have a great fortnight. We'll catch up. And thank you. That was Wally Richards on The Gardening Show, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You're on Rally Check Radio. You can send us a text at 2057 or email us at inbox at rallycheck.radio. And you can give Wally a call. 0800-466-464. He loves taking your calls. We always joke that he has his people answer the phone, but it's him. Uh, or you can email Wally, wallyjr at gardennews.co.nz. That garden news has one in. But Wally actually prefers a call because it's a bit like when you go and see your doctor or the motor mechanic. You'll tell them what's wrong with you or with your garden, but they've got some questions to sort of try and figure out um, what it is. But do drop us a line because we'll have more questions each fortnight that we have Wally on. And I think as we go into spring, we might have to have more Wally because the gardening the gardening business is going to uh, wind up. Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Thank you for listening. Thank you. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.